Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Roach. Welcome, welcome, folks. Back again, another week. Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host, engineer, call screener. What else? A little bit of everything. Chris Morales, back in the house, still recovering from his uh, eventful uh, plane escapades. Yes. From a couple yes, of weeks indeed. ago. 646-564-9909 is the number. Six four six five six four ninety nine zero nine. If you want to call in and speak to us, if you just want to listen to the show, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. And you can listen to the show live. You can also listen to the show on the call in line if that's your only means to do so. You got to make it happen. Yep. All right, let's get right to it. Um, I'm going to start out with the unhappy recap. All right. All right. Let's get it going. So uh, during the show last week, I was unaware that the NBA draft was occurring (laughs) and did Uh, not find out the results until I got home and was watching on ESPN the ticker. And, of course, as a New York sports fan – and a diehard lifetime Nick fan, we were desperately hoping for the number one or two pick. And to our disappointment, we ended up with the number four pick. And let me just ask, because I'm not sure and I didn't follow this bit. Did you guys have the first or or second to worst record in yes. the league? We had the worst record in the league up to the last week of the season. Okay. And then we won a couple of games, and then Philly passed us, or the Timberwolves passed us, and so they ended up with the worst record in the league. And you guys were two. We were number two. So we had the second best odds for at least getting the first pick. Yeah. So we kind of like said, okay, we're going to get the number two pick. And we said, either way, we're going to get one of those two big guys. Uh, see, to me, that's the problem. Well, that's a, the topic for another time. But the draft, the the lottery, 
for positioning to me is so well back ridiculous. in the, back in the day you used to be able to just tank right and give yeah, you a guarantee yeah, at least true. the first or second pick that's true so we end up with the fourth pick and we're going to get a guard evidently one of the two guards is supposed to be spectacular you know either one are supposed to be spectacular guards so right um that kind of uh made the disappointment feel a little bit less yeah than seeing Nick's number four. How did the, how did the Lakers get the number two pick? Yeah, that's great. that's gonna like take them back Switch to where things. they need to go very quickly. Well, don't be so sold that they're gonna get uh, one of those two good guards because who the Knicks? Word on the street is they might be looking to trade that number one pick for like uh, Ricky Rubio out of Minnesota or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> you mean the Timberwolves want to trade the number yeah, one pick? Nick's yeah, yeah. Got the fourth pick. <laughs> I, yeah, I would trade make that trade. Shoot. Um. And then of course, to end the week, our New York Rangers. Oh yeah, disappointing. Got eliminated from the Stanley Cup. Conference Eastern Conference Finals in Game Seven. Worse at the Garden, where they were undefeated in Game Sevens. Um, they didn't even score. Shut out. They got shut out. Um, yeah, that was disappointing. Yeah, it was no good. As a Bay Area, a mainly San Francisco sports fan, I was actually rooting for the Rangers. Tampa Bay, like, just as a casual hockey fan, who wants to see Tampa Bay play anybody? I wanted to see New York, Chicago, man, yeah. two big two, markets. The original eight. Two, yeah, exactly. Two of the original eight. Exactly. And Tampa Bay is a recent cup winner, by the way. They, yeah. They won oh, yeah. a few years ago. They so. did, the Lightning, yeah. Um, But I thought, you know, because the Rangers were down 3-1. to one. Right. And so to get it to a seventh game, I thought they would bring it home. Uh, I'm not sure how old their goalie is. I know he's in his prime, um, but you've got to get it done while you got a, a, a top-notch goalie. Yes, yes. So I'm not sure what the window is. I don't know how old he is or how young he is, um, but they got to do something. They, they need at least two scoring lines. They only have one. That's right. Um, and the, the the one of the main guys on their number one scoring line was in, was injured. Right. So they got shut out. So that's my unhappy recap for my New York contingent, unfortunately. So uh, the only bright spot is that the Yankees are a game up in the East. The AL East and the Mets were leading the NL East, but now they're half a game back of the Washington Nationals. Uh, but it was May, now June, so we don't get too excited about that no. too early in the season. Uh, so that's my unhappy recap. Oh, all right, all on right. the happy recap slash announcement side, uh, one of our alum uh, staff alumni, I should say, um, former employee, Beth Agnew. Remember Beth? Oh, yes, Beth. Of course yes. I do. And her husband, Tim, recently welcomed a new addition to the family. Oh, all right. All right. Congrats. And a little girl named Juliet Jane. And her their first child was a boy, right? Yes. So, uh, okay. Cole, I Cole, believe is his right. name. I, I think he's about kindergarten or first gradish age. Yeah, I remember he and right Zach there. were kind of close in proximity yeah. there. They were buds. Um, 
So congratulations to them. And also, uh, they kind of flipped the script on us a little bit because, you know, normally, you know, you know, OCG historically might send a little something for a little one, you know, et cetera. Um, but uh, in their announcement that they sent to us via mail, um, they sent us a donation. Oh, wow. To OCG. So on behalf of the little one. So how generous of them. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, so we want to let them know on the air that we're very appreciative and uh, congratulations to the arrival of the newest member of the Agnew family. That's right. That's right. That is awesome. Now, I do have a problem, however. Okay. They have named the little one, the young lady, Juliet Jane. Okay. Beautiful name. Sure. But there's a problem. Now, Beth and Tim are going to somehow have to figure this out at some point, but I want to point out what the problem is in advance. Okay. You know when you when you when you when you have kids and you give them a middle name and they reach an age, you know, when they get to that, you know, they're just getting into stuff. Sure, you know, sure. Being a little naughty, okay? Uh and there's a time when you might call them by both names. Right, so yeah, like, the full name. Like using, or not even the full name, but like using my grandkids as an example. Jalen Warren, I mean, Jalen Jalen Layton, his middle name is Layton. Jalen Layton or Josiah Layton, you know what I mean? So, you know, the the the, the first name and the and the and the middle name in in the way it's laid out oh, yeah. has an effect. Of course. Juliet. When you think of Juliet, you think of positivity, roses, and niceness. Sure, yeah. So you if if Juliet is doing something wrong and Tim or Beth want to, you know, grab her attention or scold her, Juliet Jane? You can have a problem with that. Yeah. You can have a problem with that. Different kind of ring to yes, it. Yes, different kind of ring. Now if it was Jane Juliet, you know, it might have that tone where you can emphasize on the Juliet to let them know you're not playing. But because the Juliet's first, yeah, you know, you got the the softness first, the Juliet, okay, and then the Jane second. They're going to have to either take up a British accent or something to change the context of the tone and the names in order to get that message across to her. Okay, I can see that. You know what I'm saying? I think it also has to do with the amount of syllables. The the more syllables in the middle name, the better, because you can emphasize each syllable to the yeah. last. Yeah. Jane is quick, one syllable. Yeah. There's no time to to hammer it home. <laughs> to hammer it home, yeah. exactly. So, but good stuff, good stuff, beautiful name. Yeah, congrats. All right, want to do a caring and sharing update. Me first. Uh, my brother is in a program. Hey. Okay, residential. Residential program. All right. Um. So he's taking another try at getting on that recovery highway. Of course. And I know in some circles out there, they they have a saying, trying is dying, which I disagree with. We've heard it. Um, To me, when you stop trying is when, you know, when you give up is when... That's the dying. Right. So you keep trying while you, while you have breath in your body, you keep trying. So... Um, he's he's trying again and uh, trying to get on that recovery highway and hopefully he'll succeed this time. Sure. So that's all we can ask. Keep trying. Don't okay. give up. 
That's great. In addition to residential, do we know how long? Like what the duration? I believe it's a six month program, which is good. Yeah, that's solid. Decent term. So uh, it's not like he's not. You know, he's been in the program before. So it's really about well, let like we spoke when we first brought it up. Let's get to the nuts and bolts here. Making it happen. So. Okay. Nice. Anything from your end, sir? Yeah. So the. the Nana has also checked into a rehab, a physical rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's home safely. They flew her home. She is uh, the hospital or our family has Kaiser insurance. And so when somebody need, they can't be released home but no longer need a hospital setting, uh, Kaiser outsources these rehab jobs, if you will, to third parties. And so this is a re, uh, physical rehab for her, which want to be there at all. Mm-hmm. She would like to have been home like yesterday, <laughs> but uh, you know we just have to keep visiting her daily. Somebody from the family and keeping her spirits up and letting her know to be patient because there's no point in rushing anything. Mm-hmm. But she's healing, which is good. Um, and so yeah, so it's uh, the report. Is as good as it can be mm-hmm. from our from our family. So, you know, we're hoping maybe, who knows? You got to kind of take it a day at a time, week at a time. But we're hoping maybe a couple of weeks, and she can be home, uh, which is where she really wants to be. And in the interim, whenever my wife and I have time, or her husband is basically there every day, mm-hmm. minus when he has to handle his responsibilities. So she's definitely being kept company. Because I guess the main thing in those kinds of situations, when we went to visit anyway, the majority of the patients in there are elderly. And so you can really see their spirits being raised when they have a loved one or yeah. something from the family Visitors. there visiting with them. So, Good so, stuff. Yeah, there you have it. Good stuff. Uh, before we get into our show topic, I want to do something unique. Um. If I may venture a guess for everybody out there, um, I offered to take my my boss here. He's not only is he the host, he is the boss uh, to uh, out to lunch because I I may or may not owe him a lunch from some sort of chum chum. If you want to go into old terms, that was on the table between his Cowboys and my 49ers last season, uh, and he politely declined and said he was working on a budget. And so something about this moment tells me he's about to surprise me with the raise that was added into the budget. I can emphatically <laughs> tell you that that is not the case. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's get to it. As you know, I ha- have spent the latter part of the last uh, 25 years or so living amongst the women. Yes, 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 yes. And now that the younger ones are now of age, right? young adult ladies, and of course the wife is still going strong. Of course. Okay. And even though there is a farm system of men coming up. In place, uh, coming, right? Coming around the corner. Single A. There's still time, you know, they still got some time. Uh, every now and then, you know, my wife likes to uh, remind I won't say me specifically, but universally remind men the superiority of women. Just universally. 
Sure. Karmically. Okay. Cosmically. You okay. name it. Okay. So she dropped something on me on Saturday that she read. Okay. Now she 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 was reading it out of her book reader. And all I could say is that if she was reading it out of a magazine or a piece of paper, when she was done, she would have just dropped it on the ground and just step, walked off. Dropped the mic. Dropped the mic and walked <laughs> off. All right. That's what. So I'm going to read to you what she read to me. Let's hear it. Okay. The title is How It Really Happened. Okay. Eve was sitting in a corner in the garden. And she said, Lord, I have a problem. And the Lord said, what's the problem, Eve? Well, Lord, I know that you created me and provided this beautiful garden and all of these wonderful animals, as well as that hilarious comedic snake, but I'm just not happy. And the Lord said, and why is that, Eve? Lord, I'm lonely. And I'm sick to death of apples. The Lord said, well, Eve, I have a solution. I shall create man for you. Eve said, man? What is that, Lord? And the Lord responded, a flawed creature with many bad traits. He'll lie, cheat, and be vain. All in all, he'll give you a hard time. But he'll be bigger, faster, and will like to hunt and kill things. I'll create him in such a way that he will satisfy your physical needs. He will be witless and will revel in childish things like fighting and kicking a ball about. He won't be as smart as you. So he will also need your advice to think properly. Eve said, it sounds great. But what's the catch, Lord? Well, Eve, you can have him on one condition. And what's that, Lord? As I said, he'll be proud, arrogant, and self-admiring. So you'll have to let him believe that I made him first, and it will be our little secret, you know, woman to woman. Ah, there it is. And she drops the mic. Boom! There it is. I am still working. Well on, I am still working on my formal response. Yeah, the comeback. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. That's pretty funny. So yep. she she decided she was just going to read that to you over the weekend. Yes, that was on Saturday. I have still not developed a response to it yet, and I'm working on it with my lawyers. Okay, good. I, I have to have a comeback to that, and nothing has come to my mind yet. The formal retort. Yes. So with that, let's move into our show topic, the Therapeutic Community Part 2 of 2. Last time we did what we talked about was mostly the macro. And for those who don't understand what we mean when we say the macro versus the micro, macro is big picture, big thinking, concepts, theories, things of that nature. That's what we talked about. Today we're going to spend some time on the micro, 
the details. Which is very important because for me, in terms of not just a TC, but residential treatment on a whole, okay, anyone who spends time, gets an opportunity, better or worse, to spend time in a residential setting as a staff or a client, um, for the clients coming in, I've always taught ultimately, 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 there's only, there are two things ultimately trying to teach. And from those two things, all other things emanate. Okay? Okay. So before we get into it, I'm going to read a memo from the late Monsignor William B. O'Brien. All right. Which to me is the best memo he has ever written. And to me, it is equivalent in Daytop OCG, Our Common Ground, to the Gettysburg Address. Okay, this is big time. Okay. This is a big time document. Yes. It starts out with the heading of the premise. Okay. And it's about the unique contract. And this is the premise. In order to foster recovery, self-worth, and full responsibility for one's life, it has always been contended that the physical surroundings must glisten with the hope and pride that is central to the task of rebuilding human lives. A slovenly kept facility encourages mediocrity. A smartly maintained facility inspires and striving. In so many ways, the condition of the facility speaks eloquently of the quality of what goes on there, the clinical process. When there is a breakdown in the maintenance slash clinical contract, then the mindset of living at the quote-unquote treatment hotel sets in with the shirking of housekeeping and house maintenance responsibilities and overall reduction of clinical output, marked deterioration of the facility, and poor retention. So here's the contract. Rising from the strong belief that clinical progress is intimately entwined with the well-being of the facility itself, Mm. we must educate both staff and residents of the vital lines between the clinical and the house maintenance. An assault on the attractiveness of the physical surroundings or a failure to contribute to the enhancement of the facility represents a grave clinical breakdown, which must be dealt with seriously. This is the definition of what we call the basics. This means before and more important to anything else, the resident, the wounds, the facility, and the grounds must always be P and Q, meaning in a state of pride and quality. That's the best memo he's ever written. That's pretty well done, in my opinion. Right there. And that was, 
I mean, you know, speaking for myself, 15 years ago, the basics being pride and quality in the structure were hammered home day in and day out. At the at the end of the day, the the mentality of the TC was there's no point in doing a group right now, in, in doing a group where we're looking for clinical progress to be made or behavioral progress or what have you, if I can walk down the hall and everybody's room is out of whack mm-hmm. because we're we we're not even in the right frame of mind right now, and I think that's made, that's that's pretty powerful. Yep. So. To me, this speaks our topic, the micro aspect of it. And in the TC or in the residential setting period, you know, you come, a, a client comes in and they come into, a, you know, an environment starting with their own personal environment, which is the bedroom. Right. And we demand that they not only make their bed but they keep their personal area immaculate and orderly, clean, right. free of dust and anything. The beds are made with hospital corners. In the old days, we used to bounce corners off or off of them to make sure that they were tight. Yeah, not loose corners, but tight hospital corners. Because we want we we want visitors. Who, who want to that come to visit and tour the facility? What are you guys doing here? I want let's let, what's going on there, and they can walk through and they marvel at the cleanliness of the facility. Yeah, which is a direct reflection right. of what's actually going on in the facility. Well, clients over eons have always asked at some point, dude, or do that. Why do I have to make my bed every single morning? And what is it with these hospital corners? You know, and what is it with, you know, cleaning the room every single day before we come on the floor, i.e. leave your room to go to the dining room to have breakfast, etc. The room has to be, has to pass a certain inspection level. Yep. It's almost military-like. But not, I say, you know, for people listening, you can visualize it's military-like, but it's not a military feel. You know what I'm saying? Right. When you're in it. You don't feel like you're in the military, but you're like, wow, it's you know, it's very tight here, you know, in terms of the, the demands they're making on how clean and neat and orderly we must be. Why do I have to make my bed? Why is that important? important we say that you start your day with your immediate surroundings being tight. And by the way, just for the record, when I, when I say tight, everyone knows what I mean. Clean, neat, orderly, everything That's right. in its place. It's important that you start your day that way. So that's your immediate surroundings. It's important that your the common areas that the family shares be the same because it impacts everyone's attitude, everyone's the way they feel about where they live. Mm -hmm. And the comparison, the analogy you can use is, you know, 
people would often talk about, quote-unquote, ghettos. And it has been said, you know, ghetto is not a place. A ghetto is an attitude. That makes sense. Okay. Um, and I firmly believe that. Because if a ghetto is a place, that means, well, how did, what then defines a ghetto? Is it then a a, a race of people in a certain area? Or is it the way a certain area looks with a particular race of people? Or is it just the way an area looks? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What defines it? Right. Okay. Right. Well, for me personally, it's purely defined as an attitude, an attitude. that's then reflected in the way a place physically manifests itself. In the environment, sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because you can go to any place and see all races and see that attitude manifested. I okay? agree. The other question we get is, what is it with the 6 o'clock wake-ups? You know, that's a shock to the addicts, you know. Big shock. To the addicts' biorhythms. <laughs> Big shock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Well, one of the things we're trying to do is start you on the process of getting used to the structure that most people, not all, but most people have in their life in terms of the time when they wake up and the time that they go to sleep and what happens in between. So we're trying to almost mimic the work day. And I would say most people wake up at around 6 o'clock in the morning, right, to go to work if they have a commute, to be at work by 9 or what have you. absolutely. We know most people don't work 9 to 5. We're just saying, you know, just as a... General, yeah, general, yeah, general, generally speaking. And so that's what we're trying to mimic when we do that. So we give you six o'clock wake ups, got to make your bed, everything's got to be tight in the room, no dust, no dirt on the floor. And by the time you leave your room to go to have breakfast in the dining room, your room is tight. So you have started your day off correctly. Now, keep that off to the side. Because there's always the other question, well, okay, I understand about, you know, the process of starting to develop a structure, the process of, you know, uh, pr- practicing keeping my personal environment clean and then the impact it has on me mentally, emotionally, et cetera. But what, what, what else am I learning from that? Good question. I'm not going to answer it right now. What else do we do? I remember numerous residents over the years, and you can speak to this, Mr. Producer. I'm sure you've experienced this. I'm sure you've asked this question and you've answered this question. We make people ask to go to the bathroom. Yep. So we have them ask to do something that comes natural to most people to to just get up when they have to go and go and come back and, you know, that's it. Right. But we say, no, you have to stop at the front desk and get permission. And, of course, new people, the initial reaction, you know, is, you know, that's strange. It's weird. Okay. But can you follow it? If it's a rule, if it's a protocol, can you follow it? it might not, you know, even it might seem weird and strange. You've got to ask to go to the bathroom, but can you follow it? Right. And what's that about? Well, i got to ask to go to the bathroom. Very good question. We'll just hold that off to the side. 
What else do we have people? To, by the way, have you been ever been asked that question by any? Yes. One? Okay. More than once. Did you ever ask that question when you were a resident? Why in, do I, in my head, not out loud. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I wondered it from time to time. Yeah, I think we clamped down on uh on on. Asking the asking of questions during <laughs> during during certain regimes. Right. Yeah, I wasn't so sure if I asked, I'd I'd get the answer to that. More so, I'd probably get a lecture about something. So I figured I'd keep it to myself. You better be glad there's a bathroom handy for you to use. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, you want to use the bathroom so bad you can GI it when you're done. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good point. So you want to be careful. You want to be careful. Yeah. Um. We have a thing called the pull-up board, right? So we'll try and describe that to our listeners. That's correct. It's a, it's a clipboard with a piece of paper on it where the residents write uh, question. They're, they're questioning other family members about physical attitudes they see around the house, like if someone leaves garbage somewhere, someone doesn't follow up behind themselves in the bathroom, you know, properly, or or someone, you know, anything someone does that they're not supposed to do that's a physical attitude. So you can write it on the pull-up board as a question to present to the family, okay? And the pull-up board has to be immaculate, tight. The lines have to be geometrically perfect. You have to be an architect. That's right. Almost. That's right. To use the pull-up board. Because woe unto you, who misspells a word, or woe unto you who makes a crooked line. Exactly. And you might be the eighth person writing on the board, and you have to rewrite the whole board. Right. Because it will not be accepted unless it sh- exemplifies and exudes pride and quality, right. i.e., it's perfect. Absolutely. Okay. When we set up for dinner, I mean, for lunch or dinner or any meal, breakfast. There's an order to it. You know, we're yeah. a family, right? Oh, so yeah. we go old school. We, you know, we set up like we families used to do back in the day. Someone, you know, the youngsters used to be told to set up the dining room, set up the tables, you know, put out the placemats, put out the... You used to own a restaurant. What's what do you call the knives and forks together? Is it called... Uh, what is their name for the it? Setting. The place setting. setting. Okay, yeah. the, so the, the whole place setting, mm-hmm. right? The condiments and what have you, you know, get those things on the table, the water pitchers and all that stuff. So the tables are set up looking nice, orderly for the family to get ready to eat. Then there's an orderly breakdown and when we're finished eating, right? That's correct. Everyone has a role, everyone has a job. And it's like, you know, it's like an assembly line, like, you know, General Motors and every, every... Woe unto you if you are seen not doing something during that time. That's right. Everyone is doing something towards con- contributing towards, you know, cleaning up after a meal and getting the house back to its previous state. So the family is working together in unison. Well, how is that helping us? We'll put that off to the side and answer that. You get to the stage of your treatment where you're allowed to put in written requests for things, you know, either, you know, certain things from home, what do you call it, creature comforts from home or uh, requests to go out of the house or to have family visit. 
the form has to be filled out completely, appropriately, with all the required information. And if it's not, it gets kicked back. Pride and quality. If it requests a date and time, you can't leave that blank. We're going to throw it right back to you. Mm-hmm. And you may miss the opportunity of getting the whatever it is you requested that week, and you'll have to wait till the next go around. Yep. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? Well, why do you do that? We'll put that off to the side. <laughs> That's right. There's a method to the madness. A reason for everything. That's right. We ask you to write out an itinerary for our older members, either those who are going to work, those who are searching for work, those who might be going on extended passes, weekend passes, yeah. et cetera. You know, what you're going to be doing, tell us. And there's a purpose for that other than the obvious. So we know what the obvious is. You know, tell us where you're going, where what you're, you're going to be doing, be, et cetera, yeah. okay? Well, other than that, well, I got to do all this stuff. Every single week I go out of the house, I got to write that stuff down. Yeah. Well, there's a reason for that. <clears throat> Again, we're talking micro aspects of the TC. <clears throat> we have, what time do, let's just use today, not back in the day. Today, it's off the floor at what time? Uh, 9.15. Okay. So, in our language, off the floor is similar to you parents out there when you're saying your kids, okay, bedtime in your room. So off the floor is at 9.15, okay? Lights out, what time? I believe, I want to say 10.30. Okay, lights out, 10.30. I'm a grown man. What do you mean? (laughs) 9.15 in my 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 room and and, and, uh, 10.30 lights out. What's up, you know, what's what's up with that? Well, we'll tell you why. But that's what we have you do. It doesn't stop, of course, when the lights are out. Uh, vital conversation taking place. I mean, some very good conversation oh, sure. can take place the in best. the room at night with the lights out. And when people are, in, you know, in reflective moods and so on and so forth before they drift off to sleep. That's right. Some of the best. Some of the best. Absolutely. But lights out at 1030. And lights out at 1030, and you're starting to see the theme. Wow, okay, 6 o'clock wake-ups, lights out at 1030. Generally speaking, go to bed around, you know, that are working, you know, a 9 to 5-ish type job. You know, 10 o'clock, 1030. You know, if they don't have kids, right? Or even if they do, 10, 10, 30, right? And they're waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Right. So, we're like I said before, we're kind of trying to mimic, you know, the general structure of the world. The real process yeah. when you get out, right? Right. So, we want to get you used to going to bed at a certain time. Because when you were out there doing your thing in the life, what was your what time were you off the floor? 4 a.m.? And your and, Sometimes and light, you were never and, off the floor. And lights out was what six thirty seven a.m. in the morning. Right. You know, and then you had what a two p.m. three p.m. wake up. So we had to flip that. By the way, I know there are people working the overnight shift now who that is their real world. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, exactly. 
We're not knocking you. We know it's out there. But the addict, their clock is very different from someone who's not an addict. Their lifestyle clock is very different. So one of the things we have to do is flip that script. And so we are very hard and we're very fast on the times that we, we make people wake up and the times that we put them down to bed. And when we say put them down to bed, obviously you can go to sleep at 12 o'clock midnight, 1 o'clock if you want. But the only thing you're going to be doing is up talking. But more often than not, and I'm sure you can speak to this, a lot of conversation ends. No one can recall where it ends because everyone ends up just drifting off that's, to sleep. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> and, and, right. And the, and the question the next, what was the last thing you said to me last night? I have no idea. I don't remember. No way, yeah. What were we talking about? We were talking about something. So, but as time moves on, you're there a month, two months, three months, four months. Now, this structure of time that we've established starts to grab hold and take hold. Now it's not as painful to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. The routine of making your bed now that you've learned and cleaning your room, that you know that's, that's required, it's, all of this stuff is no longer a shock. It now becomes just routine. You, 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 it, an instinctual, you wake up knowing what to do, how to do it, what the next steps are, depending on what your job is in, in the facility, what you, got, you know, what you got to do before breakfast, what you got to do after breakfast, et cetera. And we then try and mimic the work day so everyone has jobs in the treatment facility, you know, whether it be in the business office, whether it be in the kitchen, whether it be um, if you're a part of the hierarchy, you know, a coordinator, so you're responsible for the house for the day, whether you're we call the chief, which is like the foreman, the person who runs the floor to make sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to do and the structure is happening and going and everyone is where they're supposed to be at the, at the right time, and and groups start at time, end on time, and you know, someone someone is orchestrating all of this. And guess what? It's not us. It's not us, the staff, that are doing this. The organism of the TC is doing this, and these micro things are happening on a day-to-day basis. And as time goes on, they instinctually take over. Now, we put off to the side a few things. Now we'll address them. I wrote in my description that we were going to delve into the micro aspect of the TC, and we talked about some of the, the big micro things right. in the TC. The daily mental and the physical exercise is built into the structure. And what I meant by that in terms of physical exercises are the things of like going to bed, waking up at 6 o'clock, making your bed, cleaning your room. These are all physical exercises, okay, that also have a mental reasoning behind them. And it's all aimed at, as I wrote, developing and or improving Two behavioral necessities that, in my opinion, I have to put that caveat out there, in my opinion, are required to ultimately have a successful recovery experience. And all of the things in the TC, most, if not all, are geared towards these two required behavioral necessities, and that's the development and or improvement 
of discipline. Okay. And self-control. Okay. So let's go back. You say, why do I have to ask to go to the bathroom? Ah, the question is, do you have the discipline to ask, even though it's crazy? Doesn't make sense. Do I have to? I'm a grown man. Why do I have to ask to go to the bathroom? I have to go. I can just go. I don't need your help. Okay. Very true. But do you have the discipline to follow that rule? Can you follow it? So we're trying to see: Can you follow a rule, even though you might not understand its purpose? Because we then take it out to the larger society. There's a lot of laws and rules and regulations out there right. that you don't know about or you know about, you don't understand, it don't make sense, but you're still required to follow them. Can you do it? Well, what's all this, the purpose of making my beds with hospital corners? They've got to be so tight you can bounce quarters off them and all that stuff. And cleaning my room, make sure there's no dust balls, trying to build some discipline. Repetition. Yeah, building good habits. Changing them from old destructive habits. Right. Creating a clean environment. Most, not all, but generally speaking, people who are in their addiction aren't in clean environments. I mean, in the worst of the worst cases, people are in crack houses and shooting dens and I mean you name it you know what I mean that's the worst of the worst environment and we sure. know what those look like and so we well, we used to have a saying in the old school and even in the new schools that one thing is not going to happen is this place is not going to end up looking like a crack house that's right that's what we used to say and still say when appropriate so we want to build the micro aspects of the TC are geared and focused towards building Discipline, self-discipline, and self-control. Those are the, that's the purpose of the micro aspects. I would agree with that. If I had to guess, when I saw on the intro uh, your two behavioral necessities, the um, the kind of obvious answers in my mind were some something about honesty or, but I like that. Yeah, the discipline and the self-control and that. That's true. I think, um, and that ties right into structure and why we have a structure and hold to it the way we do. Uh, because just like you said, who knew when lights out was when we were out there or when uh, wake ups were? And even if some nights they were at crazy hours, other nights they might be at other. There was just no consistency and it was very much chaotic. Or, or the discipline and the structure of eat, of eating three meals a day. Right, you know, to to, to get your nutrition back. And, right, exactly. And so, um, yeah, I would agree. Those those two components are major, and a lot of why, like you said, the micro things, the little details that we focus on here, which from an outsider looking in, or even coming in for your first week or whatever, like Jesus, you guys are real, mm-hmm. and yeah, we are, and there's good reason for it. Now, I'm going to say something, which is a little controversial. Oh, here it comes. But it has to be said. <clears throat> so I'm very big on the discipline and self-control. Yep. And how the very many things in the treatment environment are geared towards d- 
developing that, building that, improving that. It is also my opinion, caveat, that that is so important, the the development of the discipline of self-control, because it, I am a firm believer that ultimately, 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 when the chips are down, when the moment of truth comes, when you might be faced with a life-altering decision and there's no one to call, no one to meet with, no one to text, no one's responding, and you are left only with whom? Yourself. Yourself. What's going to be there for you to make sure that you do what's right, make the right decision? Utilize tools that may be at your disposal. You've got to have the discipline and you've got to have the self-control. Everything else can be going to crap around you. But if you've got discipline and self-control, you have the means to make good decisions. And so in the treatment environment, that's all I'm preaching. That's all I'm preaching. We got to develop your discipline. We got to develop your self-control because ultimately that's what's going to save you. Yeah, when I chip, agree. When the chips are down. I agree. If I can call on my friend in a moment of weakness to get support to lift me out of that, that's beautiful. That's ideal. But I'm not going to prepare you for the beautiful and the ideal. I'm going to prepare you for the opposite of that. Right. Because the opposite of that may present itself, and you need to be able to have your tools ready. That's right. So I'm very big on that. Yeah, no, I have to agree. Um, I have to agree. That has to be the fallback. That has to be the foundation. You mm-hmm. can you can build off that of several different kinds of strengths that mm-hmm. one is going to need based on where they're at in life and what their situation is that they're going to return to, but... That needs to be the foundation, for sure. And I completely agree with that. And then it kind of ties right into the Monsignor's memo mm-hmm. about the physical plant and the basics. And those basics are those roots, the the foundation, that if you don't have that, nothing else is really going to matter. Right. So we can take it outside of the treatment environment. Um, so one of the questions that I get asked, Periodically, my people in, you know, it was like, so do you still do hospital corners or, you know, do you still roll your clothes or so on and so forth? And I said, no, I don't do hospital corners. And and I used to roll my socks, but I realized they were ruining the elastic, so I fold them now. And, right. <laughs> uh, same thing with the underwear. I don't uh, roll them because it ruins the elastic. And so, but I do uh, lay them out neatly. Right. Um, and my wife can attest to that. They find that very humorous. That that still happens. Um, <laughs> I just find it efficient, space-saving. Uh, sure, you know, of way course. To uh, store your clothes, but uh, your your oh, undies. It's a logical method. Yes. Um, but the point that I say to them is, we you build these little these little steps along the way of of of, of a way to structure your life. And the reality is some of these small things are going to fall away 
because of your, your how your life is, okay? And trust me, ultimately, if you relapse, we're not going to trace it back to the fact that you stopped making hospital corners. Right. Okay? Right. Um, if we walk into your room and it's a pigsty, well, that's all we'll need to see. We don't, we don't need to ask any more questions. Your room could be neat, in order, pr- represent pride and quality, and you not have hospital corners. You know what I'm saying? Very true. We, we acknowledge that we do things to the extreme. That's right. We acknowledge that we blow things up out of proportion. Why do we do that? Because we want to make sure you see it. So if you got very bad vision, we want to make sure that it is blown up enough that you could actually see what it is we're talking about. So, yeah, we make a big deal out of small things. Right. For a very good reason. But you out there must then put it into context when you reenter society. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. If you're, you know, just as a sidebar, I mean, if you're living with a, another person, a significant other, and let's say you got to get up at 6, they have to get up at 8, well, you're not going to be making the bed. Can you imagine trying to make the bed while your 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 partner, your your wife or somebody's still sleeping at six o'clock in the morning? No. Well, yeah, I can imagine it. It will only happen once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't imagine it being very pretty. Okay. So, you know, some people we have to kind of break them down and say it's okay. Doesn't have to be hospital corners. But there still must be pride and quality. That's right. And reality. Okay? Pride and quality and reality. They can coexist. Okay? Right. All right. Why don't we take a break um, and come back on the other side, wrap up our um, wrap up our uh, show topic, and then we'll uh, then move on to recovery sport time. Sounds good. That's what we are going to do. Thank you all for being patient, and we will catch you on the other side of this quick break. You hear that? What you won't do, you do for love. You'll try anything, but you won't give up. That's the attitude you need to have in recovery. You've got to love or learn to love yourself first. You've got to be willing to try anything that will help you succeed. And most importantly, you can never give up. Visit us at ocgworks.org. OCG, where hope grows. What you won't do, do for love. You try everything, but you don't give up. In my world, 
Okay, welcome back to Roach on Recovery. We are wrapping up our show topic, the therapeutic community, part two of two, talking about the micro. So the last point I wanted to make or reinforce, reemphasize, is in other circles, okay, there, there is not, remember I said, you know, it's of my opinion that the most important aspect of treatment is to, as the you mentioned it, the foundation, the undergirth. That's right. Okay, is making sure that you have. If you don't have it, you've developed it. If you have a little bit of it, that you've improved it and built it up. Your self-discipline and your self-control. There are other circles out there that are not in agreement with that, meaning that they don't think that that's not important. But that's not their primary focus as an undergirth, so right. to speak. Um, and so I'm in uh, to, to total disagreement with that thought, that that is not important as an undergirth. Um, and I will argue it, argue it to the end of the universe okay. as to why it's important that self-discipline and self-control is your fail-safe to everything else collapsing around you. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, because I, I, I ask people the question, well, okay, what if your sponsor is not available? What if your friend's not available? What if the meeting is not, there's no meeting available to go to? What are you going to do? Right. What are you left with? You're left with yourself and your own way of being. Your own way of being. And you better have some discipline and self-control to draw from to help you make a correct decision so you don't go down the wrong road. That's my perspective. Yeah. No, I have to agree. Uh, you you have to have, like you said, your fallbacks uh, where if everything else is failing or everything else is crumbling around you, you have your your core your foundation still available to you, and that needs to be what you're going to fall back on when other things aren't working, so to speak. Okay. All right, sir. I think we are we we beat that one up pretty good, I would say. Again, like we said last week, it's the TC. Uh, you know, our combined kind of years in the TC together. Mm-hmm are more than a senior citizen, I would imagine, so mm-hmm. we could probably talk about it forever. Mm-hmm. But I think at least the micro portion of residential, we hit on it pretty well. Okay. All right, I guess we're ready to go to our uh, formal our break. Our formal <laughs> top of the hour, bottom of the hour break, absolutely. Yep. So that's what we'll do. We are going to take a music break. On the other side, we're going to get to our recovery sport time. We do see that we have some callers on the line holding who've been listening to the show. We thank you for being patient. We are going to get to your questions on the other side. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to drop this commercial, and we will talk to you guys soon.
Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. on recovery recovery support time we're going to get right to the phones to Todd from Morgan Hill Todd welcome hi welcome how you doing good can you speak up Todd can you hear me all right yeah now we can Can you hear me okay accountability is everything right why is it so difficult to hold ourselves accountable and others We're going to have to ask you to speak up just a little bit there, Todd, if you could make sure you're not on speakerphone and put your mouth to the receiver of the phone. We're having a little hard time hearing you here. Okay. Can you hear me now? Welcome, Todd. Thank goodness. Yes. Crystal clear. Okay. Accountability is everything, right? Why is it so difficult to hold ourselves accountable and others? Because it's difficult. Okay. The 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 addict's instinct is to not do what's in their best interest. Uh. So in order to counteract that, initially, it's not the addict themselves holding themselves accountable. It comes from the external sources holding them accountable until the addict can then pick up the torch and carry it themselves. 
You follow me? Yes, sir. So that's usually the way it works. So it starts with other people helping you externally, putting some positive peer pressure on you, and then you pick it up and carry it, and you then develop the ability, the self-discipline and self-control to hold your own self accountable and hold and hold yourself to your own high standards. Uh, makes sense to me. Okay. okay, and then I got I got one more, if you don't mind. Sure, shoot it. Why no, go people, ahead. Why do people in a co-ed recovery program like to get involved and explain why that is not advisable? So I heard something about co-ed program and and people getting involved, but again, you're kind of cutting out again there. If you could speak uh, loudly and clearly, repeat the question. So people in a co-ed facility, you were... Okay. Why do people in a co-ed recovery program like to get involved and explain why that is not advisable? Okay. So... um, why it's not advisable, and it's actually a common question, so although common sense may not prevail, uh, we can continue to answer this question. Uh, Your focus needs to be yourself in treatment because that's what you're in there for. You're not in there to find a significant other or a life partner, Um, and you're definitely not in there to hook up, although that may be a great distraction from whatever it is you're going through. You're in there to work on yourself, to get yourself better. The second somebody else becomes involved, they become more important or equally as important as the treatment that you're doing or attempting for yourself, and that is a recipe for not being very successful. Um, So that's why it's not advisable. Why I think the first half of your question was why do they actually hook up in the first place? That's as easy as men and women being attracted to one another and having a difficult time controlling those hormones. (laughs) Thank you, gentlemen. You always make so much sense. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate the show as well. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you. We appreciate you calling. Okay, guys. All right, bye-bye. Let's go to uh, Michael from Fresno. Michael, welcome. Hi, how you doing? Uh, first of all, I wanted to uh, just say I really liked what you said about the discipline and self-control. Um, I believe that as well. I was My question was, why do I find myself setting myself up for failure or relapse as soon as things start to get good? Like, what what could I work on that would stop me from doing that? Well, there's a quick answer uh, to the to the, the the actual question, the first question, um, and you tell me if if this resonates with you. Fear. Does that resonate with you? Fear, F-E-A-R. Yes, I, I believe so. Okay, and so that's what we actually have to deal with. That's the root, you know. So. What's the fear that causes you to sabotage yourself when you're doing well? What are you afraid of? What is it that you're thinking of that's going to happen other than good things continuing to happen? 
and you continuing to make good decisions and so on and so on and so on. So after you said that, I was thinking in my head about what goes, what I think about. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm afraid of success. Mm-hmm. However, I, I am afraid that after giving it my best try and having all the opportunities around me to succeed, then failing after giving it my all. Does yeah, that that's only po- no, it does make sense. But it's only possible if you make the decision to do that. Right. It's not outside of your control, and it's not, and it won't happen by accident. So if it's within your control, it only comes down to what you desire to do. So are you saying that if I believe in myself and, and go for it, then then uh, I won't fail? Or if I do, then that's just part of the process? If you don't believe that you're going to succeed, yeah, then you're not going to you're not going to su- succeed. Right. You're going to fulfill eventually fulfill that that prophecy that you have in your mind that you know what I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to stay clean. I'm I'm just not going to be able to do this recovery thing. And you you're going to live that out. We call that a a, a negative reservation. Okay. So if you don't get underneath why I feel that way, why do I feel I'm not going to succeed at this? If you don't get underneath that, then it's just going to continue to remain there as a negative reservation. Okay. So I want you to think about, dig dig a little deeper than the time we have for you to do it on the air here, but dig a little deeper and think about, all right, what is it that causes me to have doubt and it requires it does require gut level honesty especially when you're doing self-analysis because there's not going to be someone like shooting questions at you forcing you to dig deeper dig deeper although that you know that should be a sponsor can help with that pairs can help with that etc but when you're doing self-analysis it's got, it requires gut level honesty you got to be right. honest with yourself so that you can get to the core of what the answer is and then go go up from there Okay. Okay? Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to Laura from San Jose. Welcome. Hello. Hi. My question is, um, how do I relieve feelings of guilt and shame and embarrassment after a relapse? So how long do you normally allow yourself to uh, feel that way? Um, generally, at least a couple of days, and the first few days pretty intensely. Um, I want to isolate. I don't want to show my face. I am. I. I go back and wish I hadn't have done it. So, I'm going to put you on the spot. 
Okay. What is it that what is it that you feel after the relapse? Like the day like the day after or right after yeah, it's, it's done. Yeah, it's okay, done. The day after. Yeah. Okay, I feel ashamed. I feel mm-hmm. stupid. I feel um humiliated. I feel um guilty and shameful. Mhm. Can I add another one in there and you tell me if it's right or wrong? I'm just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. Embar- embarrassment? Yes, embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And you say that it usually lasts about two days? A few, Well, a few so. days. And then whenever it's brought up again or relapse is brought up again, those feelings kind of start to arise. It kind of brings again it back for you. Because, right. Okay, Laura. I, uh, I'm sorry to say, but uh, you've left me no option. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to uh, put you in to the uh, the 48-hour program. You get only 48 hours to feel sorry for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's it. I don't. After that, excuse me. I don't think I really feel sorry for myself. I just feel uh, more embarrassed than anything. Well, when you use word embarrassment, ashamed, guilty, you know, I just lump it all into one. That's feeling sorry for yourself. Okay. Okay. That's what I mean when I say that. Um, But you only get 48 hours. It's okay. Okay. Because it's normal to feel that way. But what we don't want, what we don't want is for for you to allow those feelings to overwhelm Mm -hmm. and become consistent every time you're reminded of it or you think of it. Okay. Because you're, you're, you're not, that's not your reality at the moment. Right. It was your reality at one time and you had feelings behind it and that was fine. And you get, boom, 48 hours to being your stuff. Get over it basically. and, And then boom, we're moving. Okay. Because right now you're not in relapse. Right now you're back in recovery mode. And all of your energies and your thoughts and your focus has to be on that. Got it. Makes sense. Okay. Okay, so I have a few more hours and then i got to get back on the ball. <laughs> That's right. You could, you're okay. allowed to use the whole 48 hours. <laughs> okay. And then um, I had one more question. I just wanted to sure. know... Um, like, what's the impound, uh, the importance of getting boundaries to the naysayers? Describe what you mean by the naysayers. Um, I'm not really sure. Hold on. I was reading off another question. Um, the importance of setting boundaries to be, what's the naysayers. Maybe people that say no all the time or... You know what? Let me read you a different question. I don't understand do what you, that do you, do you mean um, that people, like people who aren't in support, who aren't positive and supporting what what you're doing? Mm, I'm not really sure. Hang on. I'm I'm going to ask you another question. If you have any help for changing uh self-centered behavior? For changing self-centered behavior. That usually requires uh a lot of external positive peer pressure. Oh, when okay. you're dealing with a person that's self-centered. Very like the, yeah, dealing with a person that's extremely self-centered and um, selfish, more or less. Um, you can, but yeah, yeah completely you can, self-centered. How do I? How do yeah, you? I mean, 
what 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 would be the help you would give for, to help them change? Well, when when you have a person that is self-centered and displays selfishness, etc., and mm-hmm. and if you want them to kind of minimize that behavior and change mm-hmm. that behavior a little bit. By the way, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of selfishness that's required right, in order right, to take of care of yourself. But if their self-centeredness starts to, is at the expense of everybody else in a negative way, it requires pressure from the outside, from peers, from other people mm-hmm. to point that out to the person and point it out consistently until they start to realize what they're doing and how it's having an impact. What if they realize what they are doing and of um, it's a tactic for control? Well, that's only possible if you allow that to be. Mm-hmm. Another if that person, person is in a um, position a, of um, a position of power, makes, it makes no difference. Okay. Makes no difference. Mm-hmm. You can all you if if you give that power in quotes, okay, mm-hmm. to that person to have that emotional effect on you, then that's something you're doing. Okay, got it. Okay. You can't allow their actions to have that kind of an impact. Mm, yeah, got it. Okay, great. You've answered my uh, questions. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Can I go X-Files, sir? We can absolutely go X-Files. In fact, I've been hoping you'd ask. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Terry from Vallejo asks a very interesting question. Can you recover from drugs and alcohol without treatment? My answer is yes. Why do I say yes? Because I've known people who do it. Sure. Now, there is a disadvantage. And what is that you say? Well, if they don't, if they, I've known people who have just stopped using cold turkey and never relapsed and gone back to using. I can't speak for how they're able to do it and what have you, but I've seen it done. Now, in my opinion, the only thing that they have missed out on is the psychological understanding of why they used, okay, what went into that, and to help them in the future in terms of understanding who they are and, you know, why they made the decisions they made, things of that nature. They didn't have, you know, a counselor or they, you know, a therapist or, any, or anyone that, you know, it doesn't have to, to be anyone with a title, but if they didn't get the opportunity to share what caused them to make those decisions to use and or abuse um, drugs or alcohol, then they don't have that experience of learning about themselves through talking to others. Uh, Yes, you can self-analyze and you can talk to yourself, but there's nothing, it's not like getting the opinion of another person who can speak truth to you if you are not being truthful to yourself. So that's the only disadvantage I see in, to someone not experiencing treatment, but being able to stop using. Okay. Um, and I've seen it happen. I've you know, I I know people that have been clean for you know, years, and but they never went through any formal quote unquote treatment. Sure. Yeah. Myself as well. So. 
Um, let's see. Let's go to Benson from EPA. Welcome. Dave. Dave. Hello, Benson. Uh, hello. Hello. Welcome. Yes, I am. Uh, my name is Benson Hernandez. I'm from uh, EPA. Is Palo Alto. Yes. How can we help you? Yes, sir. Um, I have a question. Uh, like, um, how how are you gonna be like um, uh, uh, successful when you get on your program? What do you mean? How are you going to stay? How can I be a successful man, like a clean straight, no use anymore? Like, what can I do for that one? You gotta have a you gotta have a plan in place, Benson. So if you're, you gotta have a plan in place. So if in your mind and in your heart you are committed to staying clean and sober, then you gotta have a plan in place for what you're going to do with your life. But first things first, you have to you have first things first. You have to decide that, hey, you know what? I'm done with that lifestyle. Yeah. That's the first because thing that has to happen. Henry. Yeah. Um, I, I believe the way you says that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, sir. Thank uh, you. Thank you so much. All right, bye-bye. All right, let's go to uh, Jimmy from San Jose. Jimmy, welcome. Good. Okay, uh, my question Jimmy, is... Can you um, Jimmy, can you can speak you up, me? please? Yes, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, my question is, uh, is memory loss due to marijuana use permanent? Uh, yeah. That's pretty well established. And, by the way, you're asking, your your question actually is, so you're saying, is memory loss from marijuana use? Well, we know from using marijuana that it damages brain cells, right? Right. And... The effect that it has, those damaged brain cells, is on your memory. That's been studied, that's been proven, etc. The only thing that is variable for each individual based on how long they, how much they use, how long they use, the quality of what they use, and the, the uh, what's the word, Mr. Producer, the, the strength, sure, the potency yeah. of what they Holy. use is, you know, is this going to affect, and then how long they use? So, a person only used two years versus someone who used 22 years. Correct. When is it going to show, when are the effects going to show themselves, and in what manner? That's the only thing that we can't predict. Or we know it's going to happen. And we so don't know. There's no to way to reverse that. There's no way to reverse the damage done. No, the only thing to do is, so, like, you know, if you have smoked marijuana for whatever period of time, is you do things to keep your brain sharp. So, you know, you play word games, you do this, you do that, you because you know, you know, 
that if there's a possibility that, you know, my memory could be affected because of my marijuana use previously. So, you know, when people get older, right, like let's say into their, I don't know, 70s, 80s, and 90s, right, their memory starts to go, right? Right. A little bit, right? So if you put on top of that a person who has, you know, abused, used marijuana for a period of time, a long period of time, that's putting something else on top of the natural memory loss that occurs. I see. Okay. And and for and for marijuana users, it's usually the uh, the short term, short term memory. The short term memory that goes first. I see, I see. But there is a way to sharpen up the mind by word uh, puzzles and yeah, and such. Keep yeah, keeping the mind active, exercising the mind, doing puzzles, word games, things of that nature. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you and for that answering my question. To, that applies to anybody. I see. Okay. Thank you so much for answering my question. You're very welcome. Okay, bye. Bye bye. So my mom is very big on that stuff. Yeah. And and her sisters were also very big on that stuff in terms of keeping their minds active as they entered their eighties, um, and you know, playing games which, you know, like my mother plays Scrabble and all kinds of games and, and destroys us. I mean to the point that you're so uh um you know, what is it when someone beats you so bad? Demoralized. You're so demoralized that you don't you, sure. you don't even want to play anymore. Yeah. Because it's not like, you know, like she might make, you know, like make the game close, you know, so you can feel good about yourself. Beat you on the last you, second you know, shot. Exactly. So that you can say, okay, yeah, let's go at it again. You know, you're, you're beaten so bad, okay? And then you're looking at her and you're like, you're 86. <laughs> Yep. Okay, and we're playing Boggle and Scrabble and all these kind of word games and just getting killed. Oh, well, sure. Do you want to play another one? No, no I don't want to play yeah, another no. game. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, I need to go and, you know, soothe myself for a little bit. That's <laughs> that's right. But word on the street, I haven't confirmed this yet through the underground communication channels, but word on the street, she's getting a run for her money. With the grandkids, okay, the the younger grandkids. Okay. So the you know the thirteen to the twenty five year old age range grandkids are giving her a run for her money. All right. Okay. She's still king of the word games. She has she's undefeated still. She's not no no challenges to the throne, but in the card games, she's getting challenged. There's some t- contenders coming to the fore, um, etc. So, but. I think she's going to, uh, you know, when she goes home eventually to the other side, She, I think she's going to retain her Scrabble title to the end. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's a, that's a serious crown to hold the entire time. So, um, getting back to the X-Files. Yes. Justin, what kind of results? He's, he's results oriented. What kind of results should I expect? Should he expect? Yeah. So remember, so he's asking the the program right. that he's going into. Right. Hey, you know, if I come into your program, what kind of results can I expect coming? You know, when I'm done here. Okay, he's making a business decision. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. 
like he's a car going in to be repaired, you know, having his tires rotated he's or buying getting, some tires, he's you know just what I mean? getting an estimate. How many miles am I going to get out of these tires? Well, leave the 60,000-mile 60 60, radials. You're going to get 60,000 miles. We guarantee it. Excellent. We can't guarantee results, Justin. Unfortunately. I mean, you're going to tell us what you're going to do, what your goals are. Right. How are you going to accomplish those goals? And then you're going to show us through your actions that you're actually serious. We're not going to tell you, hey, if you come in here, you're going to, we guarantee that you're going to, you're going to become clean and sober and make it and stay. It's almost like the inference in his question. Right. What are yeah, you guys, yeah, yeah. What are you guys offering? Yeah. What, you, what is it you're going to do for me? Right. Um... Angelo wants to know, and this question keeps cycling up, so we're going to keep asking it and answering, how long should I be in recovery before taking on a relationship? Boy, that question. It's a hot one for everybody. Human nature. Yeah, oh, I agree. You never know when uh, the universe is going to send someone your way if you're in recovery. So... There's no hard, fast answer. Now, if he means while he's still in the throes of his treatment process, we would, we, our answer is standard. That there should be nothing, no involvement, as you eloquently stated. Right. You know, so that the focus remains on you. But once you've reached a certain stage of your treatment process, the later stages, the latter stages, you're exiting out of that treatment setting, treatment mode, so to speak. Um, whatever, you know, who knows when the universe is going to send someone to you. You just need to be prepared and, you know, rightly situated, as we've elaborated on before. Correct. So, we can't name a time, Angelo. We can just say, you know, you need to be, you're the most important person in the world, so you just need to be in a good space. And then uh, good luck with that. <laughs> Best of luck to you. Uh, let's see. I'm going to ask this question, but I don't know if I have the answer, so I might throw it to you, Mr. Producer. I'll do my Charles, best. Uh, Rick B. from Vallejo wants to know, how do I make the nightmares go away? Oh, that might be a better question taken in person so we could have him be a little more descriptive as yeah. to... What all that entails, but because we don't know if he means by nightmares that he's just having dreams about using, and then, right. and that's he's defining that as nightmares, or if he's having nightmares about something else, um, you know, about a specific trauma he's yeah, experienced, exactly. or if he's even using the term nightmares figuratively, like the the nightmare of this idea that I'll never succeed or whatever. Right. Um, hard to say if it's the if it is one of those that we listed being about a particular trauma. You've got to do a lot of therapy, mm-hmm. a lot of individual therapy. You've got to do a lot of clinical work behind that to um, a lot of digging. Try and yeah, try and reconcile whatever happened. And even then, there's no guarantee that they go away. Maybe a reduction in frequency or whatever the case may be. As far as um, relapse type or using type nightmares, mm-hmm. um, at least in my own experience and what I've heard others talk about and i don't think this is like empirically researched or proven or anything but the more time you have clean um 
the less often those happen, if if ever, once mm-hmm. you've been cleaned for long enough. Um, and as far as the figure, that's, that's probably the only place where we say time and distance apply. That, uh, apply right. Where right. it really helps. Right. Exactly. Um, and if he's just speaking figuratively and using the adjective nightmare to describe what he his life. feels about his his future, his life, uh, I'd say just uh, keep on trucking, pal. That's all we can do. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, let's see. What else we got here on the X-Files? I'm not going to answer this question. I'm, I'm going to ask it, though, so I can make a different comment. So Michael W. from Foster City, does the brain shrink from years of abuse? Um, I'm not going to say I don't know, but all I know is that is a significant area of study that's going on right now in okay. the field, yeah. you know, in uh, by medical doctors in the field of substance abuse. What impact, and even Dr. Deitch spoke about it when we interviewed him, um, that's the area that he's in now, is what impact does substance abuse have on the brain and how does it impact the brain and what happens to the brain when you stop using. Right. So that's some good research that's going on. What the results are, I don't know. Um, question. Um, it's also one of my pet peeves that I don't think we deal with enough in, in the treatment setting. Um, how do I cope with, after I leave treatment, uh, with going back to the old neighborhood? That can be a very, very, very challenging mm-hmm. relationships and old environment. Yeah, so I, I think I've... Those are two big ones. What I've said before is, I think, uh, we have to make more of an effort as providers to, to role play that. Exactly. To get people I think I remember you saying that. Practice, uh, you know, scenarios that may they may experience in going back to their old neighborhoods, because um, most people don't have any other option but to go back to where they you know they live. Um, and so these scenarios are going to come up. How do I handle you know my old friends or you know even family members, some family members, um, that might cause me to be susceptible to being stared in the wrong way. Well, let's practice, let's role play that and practice that and let's see what your response would be. And then we can judge if your response is tight and where it needs to be. And if it's not, then we get to work on it and tighten it up a little bit. And then we practice it until the response becomes almost instinctive, meaning not word for word, but the, you know, the, the, what we're trying to get at, the point we're trying to make becomes instinctive. And how you end up actually wording it becomes, you know, per circumstance. Right. Okay. But we've practiced it enough that you just become so used to speaking to it and however, whatever words and terms you want to use. But I don't think it happens enough while they're in the treatment setting. I agree. Um... How much time we got, sir? Oh, we are looking at, we do have a, a caller on there on the screen. I think we're going to roll the dice on that one. we got about 10 or 11 minutes. Okay. Um, so Sadie is asking um, about a sponsor. That's another question we get often. How do I find this? So three questions. How do I find a sponsor? What do I look for in one? And how do I ask? 
the last one is the most interesting one to me in mm-hmm. terms of so you're at a meeting and you you want to sponsor um or you're at some some place and you want to sponsor how do I go about making the ask so to speak or or, <laughs> sure. or whatever it's called right um from my experience in terms of talking to people who are you know working the steps and and have sponsors that usually it hasn't come about through that manner. Yeah. So okay. it wouldn't be me saying, "Hey, do you want to be my sponsor?" It's usually me saying to you, yeah. "Hey, you know, I see that you're new in recovery. Um, you know, are you looking for a sponsor? I wouldn't mind, you know, sponsoring you, you know, etc." Right. And then you, the the person on the receiving end, get to decide whether or not you think it'll be a good fit, or you want to try it out, or whatever the case may be, right. and so on and so forth. Um, I'm not aware of it being the opposite way, where you know you're you're at an A event or meeting and you have to go around and look for people and, and hey, do you want to be my sponsor type deal? Right. Is that your take? Yeah, I, I've not witnessed too much of it firsthand um, because I don't really I don't go to meetings actually. Mm-hmm. I never really have, but from what I've seen, um, as far as sometimes you know meetings coming to different programs to do meetings in house. It's as you said, sometimes speaker who's present is a sponsor and may say somewhere near the end of the meeting, if anyone who's in here tonight is looking for a sponsor, please feel free to come up and talk to me. Um, And I can either, you know, if it looks like I might work out as your sponsor, fine, or I could give you some numbers of people that you can meet up with. So it's, yeah, it's usually the sponsors that are putting it out there to people looking for sponsors that... I'm available or I know people that may be available that may, you know, live in your area or go to meetings at the same times you do or mm-hmm. might be a good fit for you. So it's usually the sponsor making that connection, not the sponsee. Right. All right. Let's roll the dice on a call. Hi, welcome to Roach on Recovery. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please? Hello. Good evening. Uh, my name is Stacy D. Um I'm from um, San Jose. Hi, welcome. Uh, um, I have a question. Sure. Why can I be in a relationship with my baby daddy when he is in drug addiction and I am in recovery? You said, why can't you, or why? Is that what you said? Why, why can't you? Yeah, when I, when can I be? A relationship with my baby daddy when who he is in um in addiction, so I am in recovery so well, while he is an active addict and while he's active in his addiction, you're not gonna be able to have a real relationship yeah. and <laughs> It hurts, it's painful, it's it's rejecting, it's um it's all of those things that, that that hurt. Um and it's the father of your child. Um you're trying to get your life together, go on a different road, but they're still on the other road, going in a different direction from you and You love this person. I'm just throwing it out. I have no idea. I'm just making it up. 
Um, but I love so much him, but I can't stay with him because he is on and drugs, and I want to try to be clean and sober for for a child, you know, and I don't want to lose my my family, so. Yeah, no, that um, that's it's it happens a lot. It's a painful part of recovery for some. That typically, or more often than not, when we're in our addiction, the relationships we find ourselves in are not healthy, to say the least. Sometimes they involve being with another addict. Sometimes they involve being with a codependent. Uh, usually, the dynamic of the relationship is unhealthy on some level when we engage in a relationship while we're in an addiction. And this happens quite frequently where one of the two people in the relationship wants to change, wants to get clean, wants to stay off of drugs, wants to do something better for themselves, and something that they have to deal with along making the processes of making that change in treatment are, you know, trying to gather information about what, type of relationship can I be in that's not going to be detrimental and typically speaking you can't go back to engaging in a relationship with someone who's actively using or you're putting yourself in harm's way and your child and your child and so if change is something you genuinely strive to accomplish you have to do what you have to do for you and the child and sometimes that involves making a tough decision Okay. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Ah, boy. It's tough. It's tough. There are a lot of those situations out there. A ton. Um, And people have, you know, they have to bury their heads in their hands because they know that there's a decision that has to be made and, you know, but there's a decision that has to be made. That's the bottom line. Period. One way or the other. Um, And you hope that the right decision is made even though the right decision may be the most painful, the most painful decision to make. Yeah. But it's got to be about you, and and, and if you have, there's a child, and it's got to be about the child. You obviously can't uh, force another person to want recovery or to want to get their life together. They have to want it themselves. So it's a tough situation. We see this a lot, obviously. Um, and especially in the residential setting, when people come and you know and have family visits, and you know that there's those issues exist with the person who's trying to get themselves in recovery and 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 change their life, and they have a a, a partner, spouse, significant other, whatever you want to call it, that's on the other side. You know what I mean? And and we, you know when love is involved. You know, decisions get harder. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Very, and, very and difficult. When, and when children are, you, then you add children into the mix, then doubles doubles the difficulty. Right. 
So I I avoid in those circumstances saying, well, you know, you got to forget him and you know, no, it's all about you. Of course. It's all about you. You are the most important person in the world. You got to do what's in your best interest. Don't even have to mention the other person. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's where they can't say, well, Chris said I should leave you. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Next Sunday, yeah, is uh, Chris there? (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Are you you Chris? (laughs) (laughs) You trying to break up my family? You can't do that one. (laughs) Pull a Robert De Niro on you. You trying to break up my family? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. All right, do we have time for another uh, roll of dice call? Roll the dice call. You got about two minutes. Ooh, okay. You got to let them know. Hi, welcome to Roadshow Recovery. Can we have your first name and hometown, please? Manuel from San Francisco. Okay, Manuel, make it quick. We're short on time. All right, I'll be fast. All right, so I'm towards the end of my treatment now. What advice can you give me? Uh, I feel like because I'm almost done, maybe I'm halfway in, halfway out, that I feel that it's doing more harm than good now. So you're near the end. You're getting ready to move on to the next phase, and you're worried about while you're still, you know, you still got, you know, a foot in the treatment door, you're worried about regressing. Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, I'm kind of regressing, but I feel like, because, you know, I'm, I'm starting to be able to look for a job soon. Coming up here, right. I just feel like some of the stuff that's going on in here is doing, you know, is, is doing more harm for me than it was doing good when I first got here. Okay, whatever is going on in the treatment environment mm-hmm. is all a mimic of life. Okay. Good, bad, or ugly, you have to okay. learn to cope with it. Mm. So, you know, whatever stage you're at, so if you're at the stage of your treatment where you're you're out there, you're looking for work so you can find a job and get and transition out, so on and so forth, but back home in the treatment setting, you know, there's stuff going on in the facility, whatever, you just have to mm-hmm. cope and deal with it and not let it throw it off what you got to do. All right. It's no yeah, so just like in the real world when I leave. <laughs> exactly. All right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate that. All right, sir. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Nothing's going to change when they when they transition up and out. That's right. You know, same same issues are going to present themselves in society. You have to cope and learn how to deal with it. So there's no place better to experience that while you're, you know, still have a foot in the right, controlled exactly. environment so you can practice it. At the Michigan Proven Grounds. Very true. Very, very true. Where are we at on time? Uh, you're done. You're done. And let's make sure you don't cut me off. So get out whatever you need to get out now, and then we're riding into the close. Um, Phil Jackson of the <laughs> New York Knicks. This is it for him this summer. Make or break. They got $35 million under the cap to spend. They got a fourth-round draft pick. This is it. Make or break for the New York Knicks for the next five to seven years. And on that, and my pick for the see. for the for the NBA Finals, I'm going with the Cavaliers in seven. And on that, uh, I get to revel in the fact that while the host is concerned about future draft picks and the GM making a name, 
I get to witness my team in the NBA Finals. Thank you all for tuning in, for listening, for calling. We appreciate all the continued support that we continue to receive. We wish everybody a very happy rest of the week and a very fun and safe weekend. We look forward to talking to you all next Tuesday.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.